Today's episode is brought to you by the new Yelp for Restaurants. In July 2020, hundreds of hospitality professionals and enthusiasts at Yelp banded together to create a new team dedicated entirely to the betterment of restaurants. Check out our latest project together, the Restaurant Marketing School podcast at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash marketing school or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here we go. That is a major problem in the restaurant business is people don't understand that experience and story are no different and consistency of story is how you tell the best story in a restaurant. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Who's the most important person in your restaurant? On a busy Saturday night, it's the dishwasher. Because if the dishwasher doesn't show up, you're the dishwasher. To make his job easier and our operation more efficient, we've upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, using less soap and resulting in fewer changeovers. Save time and money with Dawn Professional. It's clean, upgraded. Where do I think we've gone wrong as an industry? In a nutshell, it's storytelling. We've been unwilling or unable to have tough conversations with our patrons and our peers around pricing and how hard our jobs truly are. Enter the most unlikely resource imaginable, Tucker Max. As it turns out, Tucker grew up in a restaurant family and that background paired with his prowess for storytelling puts him in a position to offer experience-based, actionable advice on how we can and should share our stories with each other and with our communities. Okay, so restaurant storytelling. I know that very, very, very well. I mean, I've built concepts, right? Multiple concepts. I've actually helped friends build very successful concepts. It's actually weirdly simple in certain ways, and people try and make it really complex, and that's usually what screws it up. So if I was telling a restaurant story, well, first you have to understand, the first thing is get the idea out of your head that a story, a restaurant story, is like a fairy tale. Because like a fairy tale is a linear story that's either spoken or written and like it's delivered in basically one medium, like there's a moral, etc. Think of a restaurant story as a multi-medium story. There is the name and the brand, there is the cuisine, there is the price point, there is the location, there is the aesthetic of the restaurant, there is the service, there is the food, like all of those things are combined, right? So you actually have to be a better storyteller in restaurants than you do. And I'm telling you as someone who's written books that have sold millions of copies and owns a book writing and publishing company that has released some of the best books in the last couple of years, like David Goggins, we helped him with his book. I know how to tell stories. It is way harder to tell a restaurant story than it is an entertainment story. It's one of the reasons why it was easy for me to get into storytelling because I had been trained in restaurants. And it's like, in a restaurant, you're crafting an experience for someone, which is a story. And if you think it's different, you nailed it exactly right, Josh. You're doing yourself a disservice. You're putting yourself down in a way that does not help you. 
because it is way harder to craft an experience than it is to tell a story because an experience is interactive, but a story is one way. So understand that if you are in any aspect really of the restaurant business, but the higher up you get in terms of responsibility, the more of a master storyteller you have to be. Okay. Then understand you're telling a story in multiple mediums. Then you got to understand, well, what do I want my story to be? What am I trying to accomplish with my story and who am I trying to attract with it? So if you want like a quick service, let's say you're trying to create like a competitor to Chipotle that's like the taco version of Chipotle, right? Okay, then that's a type of story. And then there's a lot of different ways to tell that story. But you know, like there's a type of person, you know, there's an aesthetic they're expecting, there's a way to tell that story, right? And then the question for you becomes all the elements of that story. Whereas like if you're trying to create a Michelin star restaurant, then you understand it's a totally different type of story. And the problem I see with a lot of restaurants is that they don't ever stop and consider what their story is. Or they do consider their story and then they apply it with the name and maybe the aesthetic and kind of the price. But then the cuisine doesn't match and the service is off. Like they haven't thought about how the story is consistent across all mediums. And we can go through all the examples, right? Because what I expect in a QSR like Chipotle in all of those mediums is completely different than what I expect at 11 Madison Park because they're just different stories and I'm paying a different price and I'm expecting a different thing. And one is not better than the other. I was on a podcast the other day. Someone made a joke about Chick-fil-A and I was like, stop for a second. Say what you want, but you may not like Chick-fil-A for various reasons. But the thing you always know with Chick-fil-A is, you want to talk about it, storytelling. They tell the exact same story every single time. And they always tell it with design, aesthetic, all that stuff is exactly the same. But more importantly, the experience, the service. You know if you walk into a Chick-fil-A, people are going to look you in the eye. They're going to smile. They're going to engage you. They're going to ask how you are. They're going to hustle to make your experience better. You can ask them for almost anything that's like reasonable and they're going to do it. Like they really care about your experience and customer service, right? And so that's the story you expect. I remember the one time I went into a Chick-fil-A and it was dirty. It's the only fast food place that I'll let my kids go to because it's like relatively healthy for fast food and like everyone's so nice and it's such a positive environment. Like I'll never take them to McDonald's or whatever. Well, I went to one, one time and it was dirty and I was like morally <laughs> offended. The only time in my life, Josh, I filled out a comment card, a comment card. <laughs> like, I mean, like who fills out comment cards? I did because like I had been told this story so much and I was so accustomed to this story and I took so much comfort from the Chick-fil-A story of like solid food, but the food's fine. It's good. It's always the same. It like all fast food. It's good. Much better than average. Excellent chicken. If you just order the chicken stuff, it's always really good. Everything else is fine, whatever. But like everyone's so nice and it's so clean and it's such a great place to be. And it wasn't. It was like one of the assistant managers was talking to somebody, like his friend for like 20 minutes while there was a big line and then the place was dirty. I had the reaction that like a Catholic would have if they went into their church and saw someone peeing on the altar. Like, no, seriously, I was upset. 
And I didn't even think about it afterwards. I was like, man, they have told me such an amazingly consistent story that when I saw the story violated, I got angry, right? Think right. about what a great story that is. And think about what an impactful story that is. And my children, they know two restaurants by name. There's one called Pius, which is a one-place thing in Austin, which is amazing. They have the best pizza and the best pastrami, which is like the weirdest combo, but they do. And Chick, Chick-fil-A. They don't even call it Chick-fil-A. Chick. Can we go Chick? Chick. Like they love because like the play thing and like it is a part of their childhood because Chick-fil-A has, they decided what their story was going to be, families, cleanliness, service. And then like, I'm not Christian. We don't go to church. Like that's a big part of their story, but like they don't force it on me. So I don't care. It's like, whatever, cool, whatever you want to believe. But like, that is amazing storytelling. People who look down on that are like missing, I think the whole point. You go to 11 Madison Park, right? Like I go to arguably the best restaurant in America. I go all the time. I haven't been since COVID, but <laughs> my wife and I have been like five times, right? And I've been probably three times without her. I would say they tell this, the exact same consistency of story as Chick-fil-A. Totally different story. I mean, it's the difference between the Brothers Grimm and the Wachowski Brothers, right? Like the Matrix and the Ugly Duckling, but completely consistent. Every time I go into 11 Madison Park, they greet me by name, which still blows my fucking mind how they do this. And every time I sit down, because they track it like the diners who come in, the first time I went in, this is a true story. I'm going to tell you, this is amazing storytelling. So when you set silverware, it's, I always forget because I switch it, uh, knife and spoon on the left and fork on the right. And so I always switch because I eat left-handed. And so I put the knife on the right and the fork on the left. They saw me do this the first time, and then they said it that way. Not just the rest of that meal. Every fucking time I've ever been back. Dude, like where I made the reservation under my name, every single time I've been back. It's absolutely incredible. They wait to see where I'm sitting, and then they whoop, flip it over. And like, man, that's not just service. That's storytelling. Because they're telling me a story about who they are and my value to them. And so I gladly spend 1500 fucking dollars for a meal there for like three people. But it's like, I don't even think twice about it because the meal's astounding and because the story around the meal is worth every dollar. And so that is a major problem in the restaurant business is people don't understand that experience and story are no different. And consistency of story is how you tell the best story in a restaurant. Like, we're going to be this. Okay, let's be this everywhere. Like, another great example is, oh, man, what's the place? I used to go all the time in Chicago, Ed DeBevnik's. The servers are on roller skates, and they insult you. They're like, hey, fatty, you want another milkshake? That's the thing. And people love it. The food's terrible. It's terrible. It's bad diner food. Bad. But you go in and you know it's like they're going to mess with you and that's the thing. It's an amazing experience and they do really well even though the food's terrible because it's entertainment. But they're telling a story with that. My next question kind of falls around transcendence when it comes to storytelling. You open a restaurant, you start a business, you write a book, and it's you saying, this is my story, this is all about me. But when it's done masterfully, when you 
choose as a patron to go to a restaurant, it says something about you. When people see you walking down the street holding a particular book, it says something about who you are as a person. And for me, it always comes down to storytelling and telling the story so well that it indoctrinates the person experiencing that into the culture and the philosophy that it bleeds into who they are as a person. I know you spend time on the West Coast. Catch LA, right? In West Hollywood. Like if you go there, you're a mover and a shaker, you're a red carpet walker and you're a paparazzi lover. Most of the people listening are independent restaurant owners. How do they indoctrinate their patrons into that sort of belief system? How do you take a food service business and turn it into an institution, into a cultural phenomenon? So my company is obviously all books and writing. We have a memoir program. And the first thing we tell people is no one is going to read your memoir to learn about you. They're going to read your memoir to learn about themselves. And then once people, they're like, oh, I get it. And so the weird paradox of that is the more honest and authentic you are in your memoir, the more it's a mirror for other people, right? I like to think of restaurants that way. Let's go back to Chick-fil-A. It's a really good example. I don't go to Chick-fil-A because I care about Dan Cathy. I don't care or not care about him. It doesn't matter. I go because I want to have a great experience with my kids in a place that they really enjoy and that I'm happy with. So the first thing is Chick-fil-A is super clear about who they are. They're clear with themselves. This is what we're going to be. We're going to stand for one, two. We're going to stand for family or God, great food, good prices, amazing service, right? Or whatever. I don't even know what their values are. I'm just guessing based on my experience. I guarantee you it aligns up pretty quickly though with that. So they're very clear first with themselves and then they're consistent about it. It's like that everywhere, right? The important thing though, the next step that people miss is they expect, well, because I care about, let's say God with Chick-fil-A, then I have to demand that my customers do. No, 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 no. If you want to care about that, cool. But the question you got to ask yourself is, what are they taking from what I am giving? And so a lot of people who are super into that, oh yeah, we go to Chick-fil-A because they believe what we believe about God. Okay, cool. No problem. But a lot of people don't. The point is, it is a safe, clean, amazingly optimistic place with solid food that my kids love. And so I am taking what I want from it. So like I said, no one reads your memoir to learn about you. They read your memoir to learn about themselves. I'm not going to Chick-fil-A to celebrate Chick-fil-A. I'm not going to Chick-fil-A to help Chick-fil-A. I'm going to Chick-fil-A because I'm getting what I want. And so that's the question you got to ask yourself is, what do people want that I can provide? Right? Like the place you mentioned in LA, if you're a scenester and you want to be in a scene, you go to the scene restaurant. Whereas like, you know where I go when I'm in LA? I go to Soho House because I anti-scene. I hate scene. Except Soho House is for people who kind of want to be in a scene but want to say they're anti-scene, <laughs> right? Which is me. Like, I kind of want to be around cool people, but I want to be able to say, no, 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 no. I'm not a scene star. I go to Soho House, right? Mm. Okay, so then you provide. And so all the rules about that. 
Like, no, you can't take pictures. Like, you can't tweet about it. You can't. And that only increases the allure for what it is. It does. Soho House is a great example of that. Perfect example. But a totally different scene. Like, if you are a true scenester, Soho House is actually almost antithetical. Like, the Kardashians aren't in Soho House. It's a different crowd. They're going to go to Koi or whatever. So that's the most important thing and where a lot of people get mixed up is they get their ego confused with what the customer wants. I want to celebrate the food. Okay, cool. Then build a restaurant where the story consistently is we celebrate the food. Then you're going to attract people like that. The problem is if you like make a Chick-fil-A and then like really spend a ton of time celebrating the quality of the food, no one goes to Chick-fil-A for the quality of the food. Here's a great example. McDonald's takes so much shit in the press about how unhealthy they, or they did years ago. When Remember when Super Size Me came out and McDonald's just took a boatload of shit from the media about how unhealthy their food was? And so they started pushing all these salads and these healthy options and no one bought any of them. No one. Do you know why? Because the story of McDonald's has never been health. Never. And it will never be health. The story of Mc, There are multiple stories of McDonald's and multiple demographics who go there. And not one of them gives a flying shit about health. For better or worse. That's just the reality. And so McDonald's, the higher-ups were listening to the media, people who don't go to McDonald's, shaming McDonald's about what they should be. And eventually they figured out, oh, yeah, like we can't sell salads to our people because none of them will buy salads. Okay, cool. So get clear about who you are. Be consistent about it. But then also message in such a way where you're attracting those same people. A great example is like farm-to-table people. Like you'll see someone, I live in Texas, Austin. And so if you start a restaurant that's really into farm to table and that whole concept in Austin, you're going to do really well. But if you go out to like Lockhart, like a rural sort of outlying town, it's not going to do well because that story, most people live farm to table. So like they're going to a restaurant for a different purpose. They don't care about that. And so understanding like if you're making the message of the restaurant about you and not about your audience, then it's just not going to resonate. And so then if you're just, I have to do a farm to table restaurant, cool. Go to where farm to table people are. That's great advice. And serve them there. Don't try and open a farm to table restaurant in Lockhart because it's just not going to work. That's probably the biggest mistake I see. And that's usually with inexperienced restaurant people. Experienced restaurant people understand, oh, we have to serve the market. We have to serve people what they want. But a lot of people, you know, it's like the type of people who like, they're amazing cooks and they cook amazing stuff. And people are like, you should open a restaurant. And then they open a restaurant and they can't understand why it failed. It's because like they're inconsistent about a lot of things, but then they also are trying to sell the thing that they want people to buy instead of what people want to buy. It's a weird paradox, man. It's balancing between like, there's no question in my mind that cooking and restaurants are art. They are absolutely unequivocally art, even McDonald's to an extent, maybe industrial art. It is industrial art, but it's art. But like any sort of single proprietor restaurant, absolutely art. You're absolutely an artist and at least an artisan, a craftsman, if not. And so the question becomes for you, do I make this about my ego or do I make this about the customer? And the balance of the two, it's never one or the other. 
I'll give you a really good example. So I know Wolfgang Puck pretty well. My dad does. And you would think if there's anyone in the restaurant business who's really fucking egotistical, you would think it'd be Wolfgang, right? Because he's had his face in front of everything for years and whatever. And in certain ways he is. But the thing Wolfgang has never been egotistical about ever once is his food. Like he will listen to feedback, any feedback from anyone in his restaurant, and he takes every bit of it seriously. Now, like some idiot may come in and say some stupid thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to understand the source, et cetera. But like, he's never arrogant about that. Never, never arrogant, which is why Spago is still an institution 25 years later in the city that turns over restaurants faster than any city maybe in the world, still an institution. And the food still of all, I mean, I was just there right before COVID and it's like, yeah, the normal stuff you know about is still there, but like you go into Spago and the story is still, you're going to get really great food, cutting edge from a world-class chef that you can see through the glass and he's going to come out on the floor and ask you how it is. It doesn't get more amazing. That's how it works. That's how you build a brand. And that's how you build a clientele. It's that the three things. I'm clear about who I'm going to be in my positioning. I'm consistent with that in all the mediums of storytelling and artistic expression. But then also, I'm responsive to the market and I fit with the market, right? I understand like I can't open a Michelin star restaurant in a 10,000 person town in a bumpkinville and I'm probably not going to do well with whatever, some diner thing in LA, right? It's not going to work. I need to make sure the people around where I am, there are enough of them who want this type of food or who are willing to hear this story or for whom this is consistent with who they want to be, then I can make it work. Make sense? Yes. Let me spit it back to you. So this is what I hear. I hear you've got to analyze product market fit. Make sure that there's demand for what you're interested in creating. Once that demand is there, you tell the story of that community through the lens of your restaurant. The story of the customer. The story of the customer. I don't mean the whole community, but you can say the community of customers. Then yes, absolutely. So like farm to table people, right? I'm going to tell the story of people who want, like my wife and I are like that. Like we want to support local farms. We want to eat stuff that comes from 10 miles away. And so if you tell that story, we're going to go because we already want to be those people. And so if you're like, okay, I'm telling the story, come join me as I tell that story. I'm in easy. So community as in the type of people who agree with that story or either they're already living it or they want to become part of it. That's a huge aha moment for me. I mean it sincerely because I started with a bad question and the question was, how do you indoctrinate people into the culture of your restaurant? When the reality is, if the culture of your restaurant pairs with the culture of your community, you will do well. But you're not indoctrinating anyone into your culture. The people that come to your restaurant share your culture and they do it through the lens of your restaurant, right? You're not changing anybody's mind. Well, sort of. So I think it's more of a negotiation. So any negotiation, if the two sides start too far apart, there's just no middle ground. So 11 Madison Park in rural Texas, they're too far apart. There's no middle ground. But 11 Madison Park in Austin, okay, there's going to be middle ground. Maybe not enough for it to be really successful. To tell that story, you probably have to be in a major taste-making cities in the world. 
Okay. So the, the way I would frame it even better to sharpen even better is I would say, make sure the story you want to tell is consistent with stories that can be told successfully where you are with your community of people. Like, is there enough of a critical mass where you're going to have enough people that want to be part of this story who can meet you either are already there or going to meet you halfway? You're 100% right. You're never going to fully change someone. The best you can hope to do is help someone get somewhere they wanted to go anyway. And you can totally do that in a restaurant. Like, absolutely, man. Like a great example, you're in LA. Sun Life Organics is a great example. A lot of people want to eat healthy. And then Khalil is like, okay, we're going to go all in on eating healthy. Like we're going to take it to the next level. That's a perfect example of there's a group of people who are like, I'm super into healthy and vegan and organic and enlightened. And this guy is telling the best vegan, organic, enlightened version of the story I've ever heard, I'm going over here. Not all chefs are great managers. Not all restaurateurs are great businessmen. It's just the nature of the beast. And I think in order to realize that about yourself, regardless of situation, it's so important to know your own limitations. And when you love a business, you want what's best for it. And there are a lot of people in leadership positions in restaurants, a lot of founders in leadership positions that maybe aren't the best fit for that role in that moment in time. And you founded Scribe and you were the CEO of Scribe and you hit a moment in your life and in your professional career where you thought the best thing for yourself and for the company was to step down as CEO. And I'm wondering what went into that decision? What was the path that led you there? And how did you feel about it? Well, first off, it's always a hard thing to realize that you're not good at something you thought you were, right? Or you think you're supposed to be. And so like I started Scribe because I love writing and I love books and I love all of that. But like our company grew really fast. And so to scale a fast growing company, you have to really be good at business. And honestly, I kind of hated it. (laughs) Had nothing to do with books. Like it reminds me a lot of chefs or a lot of people who like, I started a restaurant because I love cooking and now all I'm doing is running a restaurant. I'm not cooking, right? It's like, okay, well, they're different skills. And I kind of had to learn that. And for me, at least it was a very hard thing, especially because in entrepreneurship, like CEO is like the status position. Like in a restaurant, chef is a status position, manager is a status position. And it's not easy to take yourself out of status positions because either you can't do the job or you're not the best person to do the job. But I'll tell you how I framed it for myself. I basically was like, okay, is this company about me and my ego or is it about us and the meaning the team and the mission we're on? And when I looked at it like that, I'm like, oh, it's obviously about us and the mission. It's like, okay, if that's true, then the best person to run the company is him and not me. If the company is about me and I could have like honestly said, yeah, because if I had like a coaching company and I'm like the star, then the company would be about me, right? But like, it's not. And so then I maybe should probably run it. Once I framed it that way, then it was like, oh, this is obviously the right decision. What's funny is, man, it was hard. But as soon as I made the decision, I felt like a million pounds lifted off of me. And then I was able to, first off, man, I think we did 1.5 million the year before I stepped down as CEO. We did 10 times that last year, four years later. So like having a baller run the company, 
led to literal 10x growth. And then, oh, dude, like my life is so much better. I literally spend all of my time now basically doing the things I want to do and that I like doing. I work on one or two books a year. I pick them. They're books I'm super excited to work on. Nothing else. Everything else I do is like building new things or doing podcast things I like doing. And all of it helps the company. It's all fantastic. I don't have to do any stuff I'm not good at, which is like all the best chefs I know at business picked partners who love running restaurants and scaling restaurants so they can spend their time in the kitchen like Mario Batali and Joe Bastiana. That's a great example of two guys who stayed in their lanes and did things they love and are good at and were able to develop a really, really good partnership that served both. And so neither, they both got to be the thing they wanted to be by just doing that and pairing with someone who was good at that. I'm telling you, it's funny I have the book right in front of me, a book called Who Not How that's about this. It's not about for restaurants. It's about all business. And the problem is like, let's say you want to start a restaurant. You say, well, how do I do it, right? The question, instead of saying, how do I do it? The question should be, who do I partner with to do this? So if you're the chef, well, I don't need to partner with anyone to do the cooking. That's me. So who do I partner with for real estate? Who do I partner with for managing? Who do I partner with for back end? Who do I partner with for this, for that, for whatever? So you can spend your time doing the thing you love that's your unique ability. I think that's so common in restaurant business. I've seen it over and over where people will get in for one reason and then they get stuck in all these jobs they can't stand because they have that mindset that like, I have to do it myself. I have to be the how. When I broke that man, it's like it unlocked my whole life. You brought up 11 Madison Park and I interviewed Will Goddard for the show. And one of the things that we talked about was the, the most painful part of making a decision is the time up until the moment you make the decision. And after you make the decision, whatever it is, it all drifts away. It all becomes easy because the hardest part is the commitment. It's decide in his case and in mine, it was, do I sell the restaurant? Do I sell it now? Do I step away? Once the debate is done, once the commitment has been made, life goes on for better or for worse. We all have the ability to adapt. I think that's a great way to frame it. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. With thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening, do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? All right. I am both an insider and an outsider. Like an insider in that I grew up in the industry and I've worked in it my whole life. But like I don't own any restaurants or anything. Like I'm not a true insider. But I understand the business and I understand business. So let me tell you what I would be doing if I was in this business. And you can take this for whatever you want. I think the restaurant business right now is at a massive inflection point. And not just COVID, but like everything that's coming, there's multiple things I would be looking at right now. The first thing, have you had Mr. Beast on or anyone who's talked about his business model yet? We've talked about he's it doing, a bunch, but he hasn't been on yet. No. Okay. So I would bring someone on who really knows that model. I don't think that's a great model for most people, but for those for whom it works, I think it can be massive. But the reason to look at that is because that is an example, one example of, I think, what's going to be a massive Cambrian explosion of innovation in the restaurant business. It's not the only type of innovation, 
Don't get stuck on the, oh, I've got to have a celebrity in a ghost kitchen. No, no, no. That's just one way to do things. And that will be really successful in a niche. But I think going the opposite direction is going to be amazing too. Like building restaurants that are even more full service. Or I'll tell you what my friends and I are doing. We have started hiring chefs, local chefs, like because a bunch of restaurants and also went out of business. So like we'll go find a chef who's a great chef. We'll get like six couples together and we'll pay him like two or 300 bucks a piece, right? So it's like he'll make 1200 bucks for the night and he buys all the food and cooks like this amazing eight course, what would be like a prefix type dinner for us. And for 200 bucks a couple, it's like incredible. We think it's incredible. He's making 80% profit margins and he's done at the end of the night. And like if he does two of those a week, he's taking home a hundred something grand a year with no headaches at all. And the point is not like, I can't even imagine all the ways that restaurants are going to change and evolve. But if you think you're in the restaurant business, you're going to be left behind. But if you think you are in the business of making incredible food and incredible experiences based around food for people, then you can be really flexible and think about what are other ways I can deliver food and food-based experiences that make everyone's life better. You have an opportunity right now. And I think if you take that opportunity, you're going to be able to do some amazing things. You're going to make the world better and you can have a better life for yourself. That's Tucker Max. For more on Tucker's company, go to scribemedia.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.